Welcome to another edition of Missouri Farm Bureau's podcast, Digging In. I'm your host, Garrett Hawkins, and have the privilege of serving as the organization's president. With me today is Travis Cushman, a senior counsel for public policy at the American Farm Bureau. So we're keeping it in the family with this podcast uh, as we talk about a huge issue uh, of which is importance to both Missouri Farm Bureau as well as the American Farm Bureau Federation or, or AFBF. So Travis, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Why don't you tell your listener, our listeners about your background and your role at AFBF? Great. Thank you so much, President Hawkins, and I really greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to meet here with you today. Um, so I am the Senior Counsel for Public Policy at American Farm Bureau. Uh, in that role, I, I wear two hats. Um, most relevant to today's discussion is I oversee our litigation portfolio. Uh, AFBF has between 30 and 50 cases we're involved with in any year that you know, really run the gamma of, of issues, um, you know, uh, water issues, eminent domain, property rights, international trade, Air Emissions and Dangerous Species Act. Um, a lot of these kind of big constitutional issues that our kind of goal is, is to make sure that we're involved in cases that are going to impact the law for farmers and ranchers, at, at least regionally, but ideally nationwide. So really trying to focus on cases that are going to have a, a major impact on, on folks at the farm level. Um, and that, that would obviously include commerce, such as this, this Prop 12 case, which we're here to talk about today. But the other thing I do at, at uh, AFBF is I'm also the, the lawyer for our lobbyists. Um, so I'm essentially their in-house lawyer, uh, which allows me to get a really nice uh, kind of um, overview of everything that's going on in our lobbying shop. Um, occasionally, I'll also sub in for them as well. So for example, uh, last year, um, our, our chief water lobbyist retired. And so I spent four months uh, general water lobbying issues also. Um, so the way I like to kind of think of it is, you know, AFBF is an advocacy organization. Um, you know, our, our lobbying shop focuses on the legislature branch, branch, you know, Congress and the executive branch agencies. Um, I help out with that, but then, you know, the litigation, that's, that's the third branch of government, which obviously really matters, the judiciary, and a lot of really important issues happen there. And so that's, that's where I, I usually try to stay um, and, and work. Uh, I came to AFBF about four years ago. Before that, I spent about 10 years in private practice. Um, doing primarily litigation, a little bit of regulatory work in the environmental space. And then before that, I spent some time at a think tank called the Cato Institute, where I worked on Mickey Briefs, the Supreme Court, which again is that kind of constitutional background of, of trying to figure out um, ways for the uh, Supreme Court to look at the cases. Well, we are thrilled to have you on the team, several years under your belt now where you can appreciate just the size and scope and the diversity of Farm Bureau and its members, right? And Every day and, you know, I learn a lot more. Yep, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think about Farm Bureau through the years and just more how active this organization has become in, in the legal space and, and the tremendous need. I think there are a lot of our members that don't realize because it's so much of it is behind the scenes. So, so thank you for your work um, because the court's are so, so important when we think about our policy agenda. So you're, you're right. You've already tipped your hand. We're going to talk a little bit about California Proposition 12, uh, a ballot initiative that was passed by California voters in, in 2018, uh, dealing with uh, essentially livestock production. You know, when I think about 
just some of the issues that are continuing to be raised in California. You know, we've had our challenges here in Missouri, it seems like, uh, specific to, to livestock. Um, but Prop 12, though, in California, put into place new animal housing regulations, regardless of where those animals are raised, which really creates a tremendous legal question. You know, as I think through some of the issues, you know, we've had attorneys in general in Missouri that have been involved, former Attorney General Chris Coster, um, spearhead a lawsuit against California's egg law, and then our current Attorney General has been involved in, in Prop 12. But maybe why don't you, can you give us the landscape of Prop 12 and, and what it really means? Thank you. So, so Prop 12, it, it touches on, on three areas of production. Um, you have egg laying hens, veal, and pork. Um, the, the egg laying hen component that that's already gotten pretty close changes in the law. I, I believe, you know, are pretty close to, to where the industry was heading anyway. Um, our, our focus that, that we've primarily had is, is with the pork side of things. And what it does is it requires that any pork that enters California derive from, a, and this is going to get a little bit confusing here because it, it really does make kind of no sense here. So that it's a pork that is sold into California must come from a market hog, which in turn came from a sow, which had certain types of, uh, of confinement practices that were, were done on, that, on the mother hog, right? So, so it's regulating several steps removed from the ultimate sale. And, and the, the kind of the terrifying thing here is, you know, we all, of course, know that states can regulate, you know, farms and businesses within their borders, you know, if, you know, Missouri can regulate farms, California can regulate farms within that state. But what this law is doing is it's essentially regulating farms in Missouri, in Iowa, North Carolina, based on the fact that eventually some, in the stream of commerce, some of that product might end up in California. And, you know, what's kind of um, particularly alarming here is, is, is the way these confinement requirements are written, essentially no one complies today. Um, I've seen different estimates. At one point, I was seeing less than 1%. The Wall Street Journal came out with an article recently that was predicting under 4%. But I believe you know, most of those folks that currently comply are, are folks that probably aren't engaged in um, uh, interstate commerce generally anyway. I'm assuming it's more like the um, smaller operations that, that have a particular niche sales. Um, but it, 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 so it's essentially creating something that, for various reasons, no one chooses currently to, to do because of, of their own uh, decisions on the best way to raise their sows that they make between themselves, the farmers, and their veterinarians. So, okay, you, you've done a, a really good job of condensing what is a, a complex issue. I want to note, you know, this is especially of interest to, to our members. You know, Missouri ranks sixth in the nation in pork production, uh, accounts for about 10% of our farm receipts. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal when we think about the landscape of agriculture in Missouri and, and our members, as well as our, our farm economy. So we've heard that the Supreme Court is actually going to, to take up this matter. What, what does that mean? How did we get to this point, Travis? Um, so it, it was a long and tough fight. And, and the, the claims we made here, you know, they're, they're tough claims and, uh, you know, it's, we, we knew from the beginning it, it would be a long legal battle. Um, so we started off suing California in what's called a district court, which is essentially it's a trial-level court in California. AFBF teamed up with the National Pork Producers Council on this one. So the two of us joined together to sue California. Uh, we had our complaint that was filed dismissed. 
it, we then appealed that to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is this kind of uh, intermediate level appeals court, which takes court, uh, cases from the trial level court. And they also denied our case, um, which then let, let us go to the Supreme Court. So that we then, uh, it's called, we petitioned for certiorari at the Supreme Court. And this is all over several years. And the Supreme Court takes less than 1% of cases every year. They have a very small docket of cases that they can take. You know, they probably have over a thousand cases that are, you know, many of them are very, very well-deserving cases. And the court just doesn't have room on its docket to hear everything. And so it takes, you know, I think under 80 cases a year. And many of those cases are ones they have to take, you know, think government challenges, like with the uh, vaccine mandate, for example. There's certain kinds of these big cases that they're going to take anyway. So the, the, the room on their docket is very limited. But um, just a couple of weeks ago, they, they reviewed our case. And, you know, at least it takes four of the nine justices to say we want to take this case on. And so we were able to get four of them that apparently agree that we, we've raised significant issues that the court needs to address. Well, that's certainly encouraging. <laughs> I think, I mean, that, that's very encouraging. It, it's um, wildly encouraging. Yes. Uh, as, as a, um, lit, you know, someone that spent most of my life as a litigator, um, everyone dreams to have, a, have the Supreme court grant search one of your cases. And it, it is, it is wildly, wildly exciting uh, for us. Okay. So, so maybe if, if we helping our listeners look at this from the viewpoint of, viewpoint of I guess the other side. What what are the def- what's the other side saying? What, what's their assertion? The justification? What are they going to tell the court? There's there's kind of two arguments here. One is more so I think it's, it's less addressed to the court than in their PR, which is about animal welfare, and they're really going to be attacking the way that that farmers choose to do things today, and that's that's you know something that that we really take issue with because we obviously believe that that farmers and their veterinarians are the ones to really know their animals best and make those kinds of, of healthcare decisions. Um, but, but the main legal argument that they're going to make is that they are not regulating farms outside of, of their borders. They're going to say that they are simply regulating sa- sale of goods in their state. That, you know, yes, it might have some effects outside of their state, but all they're really doing is regulating the sale of goods within their state. Um, we obviously disagree with that. You know, I, th- I think part of what's going to be required by this is essentially going to have to have auditors that are more or less agents of California be verifying farms outside of California. So I think that's it's a it's a very um, it's a disingenuous argument in my mind. But I mean, it's not to say that it's not a a, a I'm not saying it's a um, frivolous argument to make, but that that is their position that they are uh, simply regulating sales within their state, and that's what that state is, has every right to do. So Travis, as we were talking about this earlier, you really did a nice job of kind of putting into buckets, you know those who are impacted by prop 12 you know from from farmers to consumers can you can you walk me through those buckets again yes so so really there's kind of three levels of impact that you know i think we're really worried about i think most immediate to your listeners is the farm level impact uh this is really the first major law that i've seen where you have one state regulating farms outside of the state which is just so, it's so out of the ordinary and such a terrifying precedent. If, if California can start regulating farms across the country, that, that kind of takes away the, the whole point of the of, uh, United States, right? Every state's supposed to be able to regulate you know, the businesses within that state. Um, so, so I think that that's kind of a terrifying precedent. And, and, and really, even just beyond 
you know, farms, any business should be worried because, you know, uh, one, one, one analogy of this is, is if, if they can regulate how you, um, the way you, you, you create the good, you know, how, how you um, had the confinement practices on your, on your farm, they similarly could, could regulate the wages of workers. They could say that, you know, it's, it's cruel to sell anything in this state that is not made with our minimum wage here in California, or it's cruel to produce anything not with union labor or however else, you know, that you want to define it. So and that's one of the reasons I think the business community, you know, well beyond farming has been very concerned about our case as well, about this precedent set sets. But second, also, I mean, the, just the immediate impacts to farmers, essentially no one complies with this. And, you know, farmers, South farmers, you know, they're not the ones that are choosing where their meat goes, right? They, 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 um, they breed their, their pigs and then they, you know, often it'll end up in a nursery and then it might go to finishing farm and then it goes to slaughterhouse. And then from there, and the, 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 the hog gets chopped up to, you know, many, many pieces and it could end up all over the country. So it's not like someone is a farmer that is, that is you know, raising the sows is, is choosing to where the, the goods going. They are so many steps removed. And yet they're not going to be the ones to require to, to make wildly expensive changes in the farm uh, to comply with this. And, you know, it's, you know, it might be feasible for some, you know, the bigger folks, but, you know, where I really get upset is they think about some, you know, some of the smaller mid-sized operations and that they can't afford to be making half million dollar, million dollar changes to their operations in order to, to, to comply with this. That's just, it, 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 that really, really scares me. So, so I, I'll pause there if you want, but that's the, kind of the first level is, is the farm right. level impact. Um, moving beyond that, you know, there, there's really no scientific basis for this. Um, the, the law was drafted by the Humane Society of the United States, HSUS. They promoted it, and now they're also involved in the suit defending it. Um, this is not drafted by farmers and veterinarians. This is drafted by uh, an animal rights group. And I think that raises some serious concerns, again, about, about how this is going to play out. It, it was done through a ballot initiative. So that means the, the California legislature didn't spend time debating the merits of different types of housing practices or anything. It was just uh, put to a vote. And you, know, you look at the ballot, the, the question itself, and it's, it's really hard to fault um, you know, any, any individual voter. They had a bunch of ballot initiatives, they go in the booth. And uh, this just, the question itself just says, you know, do you want to you know, create different minimum requirements for certain types of animal housing? There, there, there's no explanation that this is not really adhered to by any way, any, anybody. There's no statement by veterinarians or farmers that this is a good thing. It, this is just, you walk in, you say, we're going to change that, you know, create higher minimum standards. It, it, there, there really isn't much to go on. And I think the impact of, this, of that is, you know, we really worry about animal welfare. Uh, we, we think that farmers and their vets are, are really the best ones to make those decisions on what's best for their animals. Uh, there, are, there are different reasons to have different kinds of uh, housing requirements. You know, folks do different things. Some folks use gestation stalls and breeding stalls and, you know, group pens. They have different uh, space uh, and, and different kinds of, of those systems. And, and that's really a farm-by-farm farm decision on, on what's best for their animals and their employees. Um, to, to kind of have this blanket requirement that, again, essentially no one is does right now for, you know, for various reasons, uh, raises serious animal welfare concerns and also concerns about employee safety. And then the, the third kind of bucket is, you know, you worry about the, the consumer here, particularly in struggling families dealing with horrific inflation right now. If you're in a budget and you have this high quality protein that is now going to become much more expensive, uh, that creates a significant challenge for for many Americans. That's it's, it's a, a you know worry about folks that that struggle to get by, and and now you know 
pork is going to be much more expensive. What, and it's not just California, as we said, because you know, that if farmers in you know Missouri have to change, their pork ends up everywhere. So it's you know it's again, it's not just families in California; it's far, families across the country. Yeah, Travis, my wheels are turning now because there are several things that you said as you've explained. You know the the three buckets that you did a really nice job categorizing. And I guess I would come back to is, is Prop 12 you know, currently in effect in California or where are they at from a regulatory standpoint? So it was supposed to go into effect on January 1st of this year. And uh, a judge in Sacramento uh, has temporarily stopped it. Uh, there was another lawsuit brought by some California groups that said basically um, the, the California Department of Food and Agriculture has failed to put out regulations on how this is gonna be implemented. And they were supposed to do this two and a half years ago or so, and they failed to do that. So you know, it's impossible for us to figure out how to even comply with this thing right now. And so the judge agreed and said, uh, you know, this cannot be enforced until six months after that California Department of Food and Agriculture puts out those final regs. And I, I think it's, it's a kind of a testament to how uh, ill-advised this law was, right? I mean, it was written in a way that the California Department of Food and Agriculture has been failed, has been unable to uh, write regs for this thing. They're two and a half, three years late at this point for that. Similarly, it's not really written from you know a farmer perspective either, or animal welfare perspective. It's it's uh, it's I think just exemplifies all the various issues with that. But it has fortunately bought us some more time to figure this thing out. Wow, that's just that's astonishing. So who else? You know, American Farm Bureau, National Pork. You all are the leads. What other allies are out there that are helping? you know, is for you, you're up for the Supreme Court. So, uh, you know, we're the only two um, plaintiffs right. or petitioners in this case, but uh, when we have big cases like this, uh, you'll get a lot of what's called amicus support. Um, amicus, uh, amicus curiae, it's a Latin term meaning friend, amicus, uh, friend of the court. And you'll have different groups kind of file briefs, kind of color, you know, let the court know that the larger issues at place and kind of, you know, color the way they might view the, the law and the facts at issue. Um, and we've had tremendous support. Um, so, so we've had this last round uh, for CERT. We had briefs from the Cato Institute, which is a, which is a think tank, uh, from 20 uh, state attorney generals, bipartisan uh, a group, um, both Republican and Democratic AGs. Uh, we had support from a couple different farming groups, including um, one led by the North Carolina Farm Bureau and one uh, from Iowa Farm Bureau and various other business groups, and agricultural groups. Uh, we had a great brief uh, from industry groups um, led by the National Association of Manufacturers. Because again, as I mentioned, this is a really an issue that goes well beyond agriculture. Um, so, so we've had tremendous support so far and expect that to only increase now that the Supreme Court is ready to take the case on. So where can, where can people stay up to date on this as you gear up for oral arguments? Like how can people stay engaged? So oral arguments are going to probably be uh, October, November time period. Okay. Um, at, at this point, the case is going to be getting so big that you could just Google Prop 12. You're going to see a, a litany of stories on it. It's going to be increasing as we get closer uh, to time. Uh, you can also you know, always go to AFBF's legal advocacy website to look for updates and anything. Um, I, I try to update as much as possible. It gets tough sometimes as we get a lot going on, but the AFBF legal advocacy webpage uh, is a good source. Um, or, or, you know, obviously uh, great resources like the Missouri Farm Bureau podcast. <laughs> what a great plug, Travis. And I didn't even have to prompt you or hold up a sign or anything for you. 
you know, the way that you have outlined this issue and what's at stake for farmers all the way to the consumers, I think will be a great benefit to to our members who listen to the podcast, who have been following this issue for for many years. Um, but this is a good reminder overall, just the importance of this arm of Farm Bureau and the fact that we have to be vigilant uh, in the legal arena and defending the rights of farmers and ranchers. And fortunately, we've attracted great talent like you, Travis, um, to be a part of the Farm Bureau team uh, to speak on behalf of, of all of us. So I know there are other uh, cases in your portfolio that's very expansive, but just know we appreciate it, uh, all that you're doing, and, and please give our best to the team as well and to Ellen and others. But I guess any final comments, any words of encouragement for our Missouri members? Um, you, it, it, it's, it's, it is very exciting the Supreme Court granted, sir. It does not mean that we're going to win, obviously, but it's, it's, it, it means that we're going to the most important uh, stage there is. And also, you know, I just want folks to realize that even if you're not involved in, you know, you know, having a sow operation, this is, is a fight that it, it's, it doesn't stop with sows. You know, it, it can touch on any area of agriculture. And it's also a fight that, you know, could continue only growing if we were to lose, you know, if we didn't bring this fight. Massachusetts has a similar law that they've been trying to implement. Uh, it was paused because, again, no one complies with it. And they realized they weren't going to have any pork in Massachusetts. Um, but it's, it's an important fight. Uh, we're excited to be part of it. And uh, again, we appreciate you inviting us on the show to, to talk about it. Well, thank you, Travis. And again, much is at stake, much is at stake. And you're exactly right. This is kind of the, uh, this is the nose under the, under the tent, so to speak, um, when you think about where it could go. And it's certainly, our members have always believed it's not right for California to try to set policy for all the rest of us. So Thank you. Thank you for carrying the torch and please keep us posted. And thank you for tuning in to another edition of Digging In. Thank, thank you. you.